0: oh boy, that's probably what about 90% of us are thinking right now. Um, And if you're not thinking that, you probably didn't hear what was just read. We talked about prophecy and tongues, now you're saying, oh boy. Um, Some of us come from a more charismatic background, and we're probably thinking, oh boy, here we go, someone's going to talk about tongues and bash it, um, bending scripture to use it that way. Others are thinking, maybe from the other end, thinking, oh, is this one of those churches? where they're going to talk about this stuff and they're going to, they're going to go all crazy. Um, and and other you, uh, others may be thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but what, what, what's the same with all of these three positions, so to speak, is that we're being very tempted to get offended at this sermon. And I want you to rest easy. My job as a preacher is to offend all of you equally. Um, so that's that this morning. I hope that that's encouraging. Um, so, to do that well, I'm going to introduce myself so that you know how to write my name when you send a complaint email to Tim or to whoever. Um, my name is Kenny Kluet, and like uh, Andrew said, I'm an associate pastor here at, at Christ Commune. my first year of what, what they call a fellowship. Um, my wife and I originally are from the city of Madrid in Spain, and that's what we call home. And in fact, in Spain, we were doing different stuff and, and felt, felt called to be a pastor, um, which is the scariest call in the world, especially in, in Spain. And so we, we felt um, that I needed a little more training, and especially teaching, knowing how to teach God's word well. So we came to the U.S. And about a year and a half into seminary, <laughs> we started thinking, I know nothing. <laughs> and, and I'm learning all this intellectual knowledge, but I don't even know how to apply this stuff. What, what do we do? Um, because if I went to Spain directly back to start pastoring and stuff, I'd probably either come across as extremely arrogant, because I would probably be extremely arrogant, or not apply anything that I've learned. Um, and that's how we ended up here in Kansas City. Um, we, we we connected with Christ's community and really saw an opportunity to sit under healthy leadership at this church for a couple of years as we began to prepare and think about what it looks like to go back and to pastor in a very different context. So I wanted to just say thank you for you guys. I, you may not be aware of this, but your generosity, um, coming to this church, being part of it, giving to this church is part of what is, is going to bless, I hope, um, our country, and many other places. It's not just impacting churches in the States as, as you raise up fellows and send them out to other places, but even across the world. Uh, so thank you for that. And at the end of the service, you can figure out if, if, if you, you want to take that thanks. Be like, no, no thanks. Um, it, it is fun, like seeing you all fan yourselves is really great. It reminds me of home because it gets really hot in Spain and we don't use a lot of air conditioning. So we actually have fans, you know, those, the flamenco things. I won't do that again. Um... <laughs> But anyway, one of the interesting things growing up in Spain besides the heat um, is that I got to be surrounded by a lot of different kinds of Christians. Um, from Christians that were very good Christians who would pray in tongues to Christians that were very good Christians that didn't think praying in tongues was a great thing to do. Um, I, I, I was able to be part of churches that, where everyone was participating and there was a lot of noise and clapping and from the outside it looked like a chaotic mess. Um, and churches where drums were frowned upon and clapping was definitely not done. But it looked a, a lot more ordered. Um, I, I was able to see a lot of these things and make friends with a lot of people and realize that God's expression across um, his church is, is quite interesting. And I know a lot of you this morning probably come from different Christian backgrounds. Some of you may come from a background where you grew up hearing that uh, speaking in tongues was, was a, a thing that was bad and anyone who said they spoke in tongues was either lying, they had an evil spirit, or worse. Or worse. Um, other you, others of you may have come from a background where you've heard tongues and you've heard prophecy and different stuff, and um, m- maybe some of you love that and really are connected to that background. Other of you maybe felt hurt by that background. Maybe you didn't have the right gifts and you felt excluded or unspiritual, or maybe you had some gifts that you weren't supposed to have and you felt unspiritual and excluded. Um, maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You, you haven't really been in church that long. You're like, what, what is this thing? Um, well, for all of you, I hope that at the end of this sermon, we're, we're able to paint a picture or, or probably better, to draw the picture that Paul's painting on what a Christian community should look like, what the Christian church can be like and what we should strive for it to be like in relation to all these, all these gifts and different things. Um, And the the text we're looking at about this morning in particular is addressing a church where all these spiritual gifts are happening. It's a very diverse church. And we've been looking at this for the last three weeks. Um, I hope you're happy to know this is the last sermon on spiritual gifts. So we'll move on to more controversial topics. No, I I hope they're not more controversial. Um, And and what we've said in the last few weeks, we've given a definition of what spiritual gifts is, right? We've said a spiritual gift is a spirit-empowered ability freely giving to the, given to the Christian by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. It's a mouthful, but that's kind of the definition we've found. Um, we've also seen that God is the one who gives us gifts. Having spiritual gifts is kind of an awesome thing. It's God living and working within us for others. Um, and we've seen how God has created us hardwired to, for collaboration with others. That's what gifts are for, is to collaborate with others for the common good. And then last week we saw that no matter what gifts you have, there's a higher way that we're supposed to follow, the way of love, right? Without love, there's no life. There's no power. There's no lasting power in our gifts. It's just a kind of a loud gong um, or symbol. And today, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul ends his section on spiritual gifts by talking about the goal or the aim of spiritual gifts, what they're for. And here it is. And this is what I, I want us to think about this morning. The aim of spiritual gifts, the end, the goal of spiritual gifts is to build up the body. The goal is to build up the body, to build up the church, the people in the church. That's the number one reason God gives us spiritual gifts. So if you have a Bible or a phone that has a Bible on it, if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, and we're going to look through this whole chapter. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of text, but we want to look at it well because it's a topic that's really important for us. What's this goal of spiritual gifts? And what Paul does to illustrate this goal this building up of a body, he takes a discussion that's happening in the Corinthian church. Apparently there's two goals that have very visible manifestations, tongues and prophecy. And this church is kind of having a debate about which of those is more important. And apparently there's some people that are saying, look, if, if you don't have this gift, you're not, you're not really spiritual enough. Um, maybe it's prophecy, maybe it's tongues, but they're saying you, you have to have this one gift to be spiritual. And some people are saying, well, I don't. I don't have it. Does that mean I don't fit into the body? Or what's going on here? Or, 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 or maybe others are saying, I, I have this gift and, and it's not being used properly, but there's, there's some, some mess here. So Paul, instead of saying, don't debate this, he says, okay, let's do this. I'm going to come into this debate and we're going to talk about these two goals. And what he does is, in, a, in incredible rhetoric, he kind of messes with the debate to try to show that there's one goal for our spiritual gifts, to build up the body. Um, and he does this by pointing out three ways gifts must be used to get to this goal. Three ways gifts must be used to get to this goal, to build up the body. Um, so let's jump into it. Let's look at the text. The first way spiritual gifts build up the body is when they seek to encourage everyone. Spiritual gifts build up the body when they seek to encourage everyone. And we're going to see this in the first few verses. So if you would, let's read verses one, um, 1 to 3. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Do you notice that? He's saying when you're gathered, prophecy is better. Why? Because it brings upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And why, why is this? Well, let's, let's keep reading. He says... In verses four to five, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up what? He builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. In other words, Paul's saying prophecy is better when we're gathered because everyone is encouraged, not just the individual who's doing the speaking. Prophecy hits this goal better to build up the whole body, not just yourself. We're still wondering, well, what exactly does that mean? So let's look for a second at what, what these two gifts are. What does Paul mean when he talks about tongues, and what does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy? So here we go. This is the fun part. Um, tongues. It appears in Scripture, in the New Testament, in a few places. And in, in Acts, it seems that uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon the people, and they start speaking in tongues, and people understand the tongues as a different language. So that, basically, tongues in Acts is God giving People, a a way of speaking that's understood as a human language. But here in 1 Corinthians, it seems to be something different. We see this in verse 9. Paul says, it's speech that is not intelligible. In other words, people are speaking audible patterns that sound like a language, but they don't correspond to any human language. They can't be understood um, by others. And what's interesting here is Paul is not saying that this is wrong or undesirable, this may be shocking to some of you, but he's not. In fact, later on, he says that he himself speaks tongues more than any of them. But what he is saying is that tongues is best viewed as an individual prayer language to build up oneself. Tongues is best, used, is best viewed as an individual prayer language to build up oneself in the Spirit. It's a gift to express things to God that our ordinary language just can't do. Um, to worship Christ personally in kind of a unique way. And what Paul's saying is, in public, unless there's an interpreter it doesn't communicate anything to the people around them. It only communicates to the person who's speaking it. It doesn't build them up. And by the way, this definition, this isn't something that that I'm trying to make up. This is a definition that both healthy charismatics and non-charismatics hold, is that that tongues is best as a prayer language, um, an individual prayer language to communicate with God. It's a gift for prayer. It's not for everyone. It's not for all occasions. That's what he's saying. And then he goes into prophecy, when Paul talks about prophecy, he's saying this is something that does communicate clearly. So we wonder, what, what is prophecy? And here it gets a little complicated. Because in the Old Testament, we have these prophets, right? And this is probably what most of us think of as a prophet, is someone, I don't know, with some kind of weird dress that's hallucinating and saying something about the future. And in a sense, that's true. In the Old Testament, what prophets would do is they would, they, they would grab Scripture, the law, and they would re, they'd interpret it for the present, And they'd interpret it for patterns of the future. God would inspire them to kind of see how Scripture was going to work out in the future. And the interesting thing is all prophecy in the Old Testament eventually and ultimately points to Christ. Okay, all prophecy points to Christ. So when we get to the New Testament, we have a problem. Because Christ has come, right? And so prophecy suddenly, although there still is some prophecy that functions looking towards the future, like Agabus and Acts and some other parts... Prophecy no longer is primarily about the future, necessarily. Prophecy becomes something much larger because it's still pointing to Christ, and Christ has already come. Um, so in what we see in the New Testament, and we'll see this a little bit in, in how Paul describes it, prophecy becomes something um, more akin, or it includes something more akin to preaching, which is taking Scripture, pointing to Christ, and saying, hey, this Christ, it pertains to you. It applies to you. Um, but it could also be done in an individual way, where you sit with someone and you say, look, Scripture's saying this, and this, this applies to you. Um, and in some traditions, it comes accompanied by, I think I hear God saying this to you, right, or something that, we, we've probably heard things like this. It's the same idea, that Christ, God has spoken through a Scripture, God has spoken through Christ, and that means something to you today. That's what prophecy is. And so prophecy, in a sense, includes a lot of things, but prophecy isn't anything, and we see this in the scripture as well. And so let me just take a pause and, and show how later in this chapter Paul says, look, yes, prophecy is a lot of things, but he says it's not anything. And that's why, number one, anytime you hear a prophecy, anytime you hear someone saying this is how scripture applies to you, the first thing you have to do is weigh that with a community. Um, so if you have your Bibles open, if you look down to verse 29, 1429, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is being said. In other words, starting a phrase with, God has told me, or as preachers like to say, this is what God is saying to us today. Same kind of thing, right? That doesn't mean it's what God's saying. It means you have to weigh that. You have to measure that as a community and figure out, is this this really what God's saying? Um, But secondly, it's not just weighing it like, yeah, I think that's what God's saying. It says, weigh it according to scripture. And we see this down in verses 36 to 38. Paul says, or was it from you that the word of God came? In other words, you, you, you people that are prophesying that's not the word of God the word of God has already been given and he says are you the only ones that has reached and he goes on he says if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you in other words the, the scriptures they're a command of the Lord and if anyone does not recognize this he is not recognized in other words prophecy is only prophecy or I think this is what, what God is saying is only what God is actually saying if it matches what we know God has said which is scripture so Paul is giving us these instructions, saying prophecy is a lot of things. Um, it has to do with preaching. It has to do with sharing your scripture with one another and sharing your life, but it's not anything. All right, that's my, par- my um, parenthesis. Now let's get back to the argument. So why is prophecy better? What distinguishes prophecy from tongues as we're gathered? And it's actually quite simple. Prophecy is understandable. That's all Paul is saying. See, prophecy is designed and intended to be shared with others to lift them up. Prophecy... What it does ultimately is it makes Christ more clear, more applicable, and more inescapable to our hearts, to all of our hearts. Let me say that again. Prophecy makes Christ more clear, more applicable, and more inescapable to our hearts. And this will always bring encouragement to the body because this is good news. Christ is good news. Sometimes it's hard news, right? When we hear, oh my goodness, the scripture actually is something that I have to listen to. It's not always easy news, but it's good news. And so Paul's saying, Prophecy fits the description of what we should be doing together as a body better, which is to build one another up. He's not saying prophecy intrinsically, is intrinsically better than tongues. He's not saying that it's a higher gifting. What he's saying is when we're gathered, this is much more important. When we're gathered, think of the goal of your gifts, which is to build everyone up. Um, and he illustrates this by speaking about, or, or by referring to speaking another language. So let me read this. This is verses 6 to 12. It's kind of Paul's example. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So, with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning but if I do not know the meaning of the language I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore one who speaks in the tongue should pray that he may interpret. Another way of seeing this is Paul saying look, don't come to show off your gifts. That's not what church is for. Church is not for you to come and show off how much gifts you have or how spiritual you are. You come to church to share your gifts so that others are encouraged and built up. The goal of your gift is to build up the body. Use it to encourage the whole body. That's what Paul's saying. That's his first point here. So here's my question to you this morning. Um, Beyond just tongues and prophecy, because that's just a case study. Paul's saying something wider. How are we using our gifts? Are we using our gifts to encourage everyone? Or do we just come sometimes to show off that we're here? Are we coming here to receive an experience? Or are we here to encourage others? Are you listening to others? Especially to those who don't normally have a voice? Are you exercising your gift of prophecy to share God's good news with others? Friends, let's yearn to encourage everyone with God's words. But that's not all Paul's saying. It's not just about encouragement. And this is where we get to the second thing this passage is saying. He said, spiritual gifts build up the body when they turn hearts and heads to worship God. Spiritual gifts build up the body when they turn hearts and heads to worship God. Um, Let me read where Paul says this. This is verses 14 to 19. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit Saying, make sure that your worship appeals to both the heart and the mind. Make sure your worship appeals to both the heart and the mind. And maybe for us, because we're a little maybe quieter with our heart, it's the other way around. Make sure your worship appeals to the mind, but also to the heart. Because the moment we separate those two things, we're doing damage to the image of God in us. Because we we serve a God that's thoughtful, and we serve a God that feels. And In the same way, we're thoughtful and we feel. Um, So our worship must appeal to both things. That's why in Christ's community, we we say our worship service, we want them to be beautiful and thoughtful. Um, And hopefully, hopefully you experience that. But we also constantly evaluate that and make sure we are providing a beautiful service. We are engaging in the beauty that appeals to the spirit, but also to the mind. But there's something more interesting here. Um, Notice, did you notice the language that Paul used? He said that when a person comes in in the position of an outsider, do you hear that in the text? And what Paul's doing is kind of cool. He's describing the church not just as a place where Christians gather, but he's describing the church as a place where skeptics, undecided people, unbelievers come and they feel welcomed and they experience the love of Christ. And to do this, he uses this tongues prophecy comparison to make his point, um, which is kind of bizarre because that's a really hard thing to talk about. But he says, look, um, let's read this. This is verses 20 to 25. Listen how he talks about the outsider. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't that something we want as a church? But initially, this sounds a little bit like a contradiction, doesn't it? Because Paul had just said, tongues are for individuals, not for everyone else. You're like, okay. And now he's saying, tongues is a sign for unbelievers. What does he mean by that? It's a little strange. Um, and what he's doing, he's quoting an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 11 to 12. And there, the prophet has painted this picture of Israel not listening to God, God's tried in so many ways to speak to them in their own language, in their own ways, and they've ignored God's word. So God resorts to a last resource, which is to let foreign troops invade Israel. That's what, he, that's what it's referring to when it says people of strange tongues and foreign lips. And what he's doing, he's allowing Israel to feel the alienation they actually have from God by feeling like aliens in a land where they can't speak their language and here's what Paul's asking the church he says is that how you want newcomers skeptics unbelievers to feel when they come into your church like aliens in a foreign land and I hope I pray our answer is no in fact I hope as Christians that we would never ever want anyone to feel like an alien in a foreign land when they're around us because we were aliens in a foreign land and God called us. We didn't have the, nas- the right nationality to belong to God's people. And he called us. He gave it to us. It wasn't our own merit. It wasn't our own status. It wasn't our own economic status. It wasn't, it wasn't how we thought or anything. God called us in with no merit of our own. So as Christians, our call should be to model that posture and never allow anyone to feel like an alien in a foreign land, especially when they come into our church. Rather, We want people to come in and hear the word of God clearly and to understand that it pertains to them, that this Christianity thing is serious, that they need to consider it. I mean, imagine it. Imagine coming into a church and hearing something so clear that you know exactly what they're talking about. Imagine, Imagine perceiving that God is reading your heart and he's speaking to your mind that he knows everything you've done, everything you've said, every selfish act, every terrible thought you've had, and yet... And yet, he still loves you more than you could ever dream. Imagine hearing that. Imagine hearing that gospel when you come into the church. Wouldn't that be a reason to fall to your knees and worship? Maybe some of you are already hearing that. Maybe you've been hearing that. That's why you're here. I hope so. Because this is what we all need to hear. It's not just for non-Christians. Those who have been believers need to hear this constantly to be reminded that God knows what's inside of us. And yet, he still loves us. This is what our gifts should be displaying always as welcome. Welcome to this table that God has set that we didn't decide who gets to be here. Welcome. You're worse than you thought, but you're also much more loved than you ever dared to dream. That's what we should be hearing when we come into a church. And that's what Paul's saying here at the end. Let me just read that last verse again. He says, but if all prophesy, if all are declaring God's word and how it pertains to us, and an unbeliever, an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. You see that? He's seeing how the gospel is working amongst all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is indeed among you. So here's our question today. Is our gifts, are our gifts leading others to worship God? Or are we using our gifts to put up barriers for others to encounter God? Let me ask you this. Are you welcoming? Are we welcoming as a congregation? I hope so. I think so. But let us ask that. Are we sharing our gifts with one another? Or something maybe a little more difficult, are we sharing our gifts with unbelievers? Are we sharing our gifts with neighbors that don't look like us or think like us or have the same status as us? Or are we saying, no, our gifts are are, are only for our kind of people. You don't deserve our gifts. Are you speaking in tongues? (laughs) You may say, well, I'm not speaking in tongues, but, but, but let me rephrase the question. Are you speaking a language that people don't understand? Are we using big and lofty theological terms or what some people call Christianese? trying to pretend that we have our own language and judging others on the outside, making them feel like outsiders, that's not welcoming. That's not what we want as a church. And friends, I feel very convicted with this. Um, It's not as easy to say this. And even as I wrote this, I thought, I stopped and I prayed. Um, And I started thanking God because he does his work anyway. It's something that's wonderful. Even when we're not welcoming, God welcomes the stranger. Even when we're not clear, he speaks his word to people's hearts. Even through strange tongues, God speaks. Isn't that awesome? But let us strive to use our gifts as best as we can to lead hearts and minds to fall on their face and worship a God who deserves it. It's our second characteristic. Let's go to the third thing. All right? We're ready for this? One more. Um, the last thing Paul says is, he says, spiritual gifts build up the body when they point to the way of peace and not confusion. Spiritual gifts build up the body when they point to the way of peace and not confusion. And what Paul's doing at the end of the chapter, he gets specific about a church service. We're not going to get into all the details of the church service and, and how Paul's saying it because we don't have time. Um, but, but, but his main point is this. Point, the gifts point to a way of peace and not of confusion. So let's read verses 26 to 33 where he kind of displays this. He says, what then, brothers and sisters... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Think for a second what Paul's describing here. This is a church service where everyone is coming with stuff to share. I mean, how fun would that be? Most of you are thinking that would not be fun at all. Um, but, but think about it. Everyone's bringing a gift. Everyone's bringing something different. They're trying to organize this so that everyone can share and so that everyone can feel and be blessed. People coming with their own hymns and spiritual songs and prayers and sharing what God has revealed to them that week. And yes, even speaking in tongues with interpretation. All kinds of people from all kinds of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds coming together, bringing what God had given them and sharing it confidently with all to build each other up. This would probably have loud moments as a church. It would probably be a lot longer service than we're used to. If you think this is long, imagine having that. And it was probably, <laughs> probably pretty interesting. So, Paul, But Paul's encouraging this in a sense. What he's saying, the first thing he's saying here is, all of you have important gifts to give. And he's saying, be ready to give it when you come to church. Be ready with your gift to build up one another. And this is what he's saying to us this morning. This is what I want to say to you. All of you have gifts that are important. And when you come Sunday morning, come ready with your gift to build someone up, to build the others up, to give it to the whole community. And he's saying, look, it's not, just, it's not just men, it's not just the preacher. He's saying everyone has a gift. I don't know, do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about head coverings? That was a great subject. Um, I'm really glad I didn't have to preach on that one. But it said women were prophesying in the church. It wasn't just men, it was men and women. Everyone was bringing something together. And Paul's saying, this, yes, this is good. This is good to happen. And so let me just say this. Every one of you find that gift, develop it, Prepare it. Come ready to share. Use it. But the second thing he says, or he's also saying, he's saying be ready to be silent as well. Be ready to wait, to let others share their gifts. Be ready to give up your right to share so that all can benefit, even if it means that you don't get the spotlight, that you don't get to share. You see that? He says that, look, if someone has a revelation, you sit down. Let someone else share and we won't get into this. He talks about women in the next section, but that's probably what he's referring to with women as well, is, is women were coming to a new space where they weren't welcome before in the synagogue, and, and they're asking questions like, what's going on here? And he's saying, wait, just be silent here. Ask that at home so that we can all be built up. And that's his point. His point is the same. It's not about you individually. It's about the body. It's about building up. It's about coming together to share. But here's the interesting thing. It's not just about order either. And it's especially not about a cultural interpretation of order, like this is what order looks like. Let us never think that our version of order is the version of order that we're supposed to have. There is a need for order. But he's talking about something else. Notice in verse 33 how he puts this contradiction, or this opposition, sorry. He says, for God is not a God of confusion but of order, right? Well, clearly he doesn't. He says, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. I'm like, Well, that's strange. That, 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 that's not the first thing that would come to my mind. Why is he saying that? Um, and there's something deep here that Paul's talking about. You see, in our world, confusion is a pretty standard thing, right? We have agenda upon, upon agenda coming out at us in every medium we look at and every person we look at trying to, trying to buy our allegiance. We have need upon need that we have to respond to. Hundreds of things to say and to prove. Um, you have to make sure you get heard in this world, right? Make sure everything, everyone is doing the things the right way, which, of course, means my way. We're all vying for self-worth. And it gets confusing because we lose aim of what we're intended for. But you see, when we realize that God has already loved us, despite our shortcomings, despite our misuses of our gifts, despite what others have said about us or where they have put us, when we realize that confusion begins to vanish, because we start realizing that it wasn't about our gifts, that wasn't what bought us an entry. We start realizing that God has loved us first, that God gave his son for our sins to make us one with him despite all that we have done against him. Because he has invited us into community with him on no merit of our own and has given us gifts to share with others, when we start realizing that, suddenly we can begin to reflect his order. We can begin to let go of this confusion and let him go first. We can begin to live in his peace. And what is that order? What is his peace? It's this, others first. Others first building up others first before myself remember that's this is what jesus came to do it says in philippians that he he emptied himself he, he became nothing for our sake he became like a slave for our sake so that he could lift us up from the clay from the mire from death that's what our savior does and that's what we're called to do and we're invited into that and this is the goal of our gifts, friends. This is what people should see immediately as they walk into church. They should see this order, this peace that's one another lifting each other up, and that'll bring conviction. It's not about the music. It's not about our cultural interpretation or how we do things. It's not, it's not even the style of the service, although sometimes that can be detrimental or can help people feel welcome. It's about Christians lifting one another up. That's what spiritual gifts is about. Serving the body, building up the whole, and like, who wouldn't be attracted to a community like that? Who wouldn't be attracted to a community like that? So I'm going to invite the, the worship band to, kinda, to come up. There's a song by Tim Hughes, um, who's a, a British songwriter, and it expresses this wonderfully. This is what it says. It says, lead us to the place where you'll restore our souls, and all our earthly strivings come to seize. It says, take from our souls the strain and stress, that confusion, and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace the beauty of your peace. So to end today, I'd like us to take a moment and sing this song together in response to what we've just explored. And as we do, let us celebrate the fact that God has indeed given us a way to experience this peace and to share it with others. And let us pray that as we use our gifts together, as we gather every Sunday and throughout the week, that our lives would in fact reflect the order of Christ, the beauty of his peace. Let's sing together. Before Jesus went to the cross, he gave his followers a meal that proclaims this peace of the gospel to our senses of taste, touch, and smell. Here communicated clearly in common bread broken, we remember Jesus Christ's body broken for us on the cross, and it is through common juice that we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Though this morning I want to invite us as we come and share this meal together to remember that we're We're one, we've been invited into Christ's table to reflect the beauty of his peace. If you're new here, let me just explain how we do communion. We do what's called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member here to participate, but we do ask that you be a follower of Jesus. If you haven't yet taken a step to follow Jesus, use this time to pray and think about what God might be calling you to do. When we do gather, we'll gather in groups of four to six around these two tables. The one over here is gluten-free. Um, And we'll take the bread, we'll dip it in the juice and wait together for instructions um, to partake together. But before we come, let us remember. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you're ready, please come.